It's a pleasure to be with you all today and bring you the Word of God. If you would stand with me as we read God's Word from Galatians, Galatians chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 19 to 21. Let us hear the word of the Lord. For through the law I died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've set aside for worship and joy and gladness and receiving from you your word and your many good gifts. We pray that as we hear your word, that you would open our hearts and soften us to your working, and that you would truly come and have your presence be known to us, that we might see your grace and praise you for it. In your son's name we ask, amen. Please be seated. Imagine for yourself that you're walking in a forest. You're lost in your thoughts as you're looking around at nature, and suddenly you find yourself in quicksand. You begin to panic, and you start frantically moving about, but you begin, you begin to see that trying to free yourself in this way is only making matters worse. If you think of the movie The Princess Bride, there's that one scene in the fire swamp where Wesley and Princess Buttercup are going and they're just walking along and that very thing happens to her. She gets caught in the lightning quicksand, only to be barely saved by Wesley jumping in after her. Imagine getting caught in a similar situation. Certain muddy death? Well, maybe not quite. Uh, Quicksand isn't as dangerous as it's often seen in the movies. But it is a real, real danger. It's slower. It's much more subtle. And it's very much like what it is to live in the power of the law in the Christian life. It's slow. It's paralyzing. And it's a sticking reality. While it might not instantly kill us, we find that it makes us impotent to the freedom that Christ has purchased for us and given to us. As we come to this passage, we think about it, Paul is driving home this this point that even though as Christians we might get the fact that Christ died for us and that we're in his family by grace, we really do not know what it means that he's living for us and he's living in us. That Jesus not only deals with the guilt of our sin, but it's power and it's shame in our lives. That when we fail to see this very reality, that is when we go back to the law. 
usually the laws of our own making, that leave us stuck in that quicksand. We may feel like we're making great strides, just flailing about, uh, but in reality, that's only making matters worse. What we need is the right motions that free us and actually allow us to be unstuck and to move in the freedom and joy that Christ gives us and to walk in, in Jesus' paths. And so the Christian life, Paul is saying, is this constant motion. Either we are moving with God's actions in the world or we're moving against it in that quicksand, getting stuck. And he's saying we can't be static as Christians. Otherwise, we'll just sink further and further down in that sand. And the Christian life consists of this continual movement of dying to the laws that we create for ourselves and make ourselves holy. Having Christ's life in us and then turning by faith from our old identities to Christ. And so that's the three things we're going to talk about this morning is first, what it means to die to the law. Dying to the law. Having Christ's life in us and living by faith. So Paul here is saying that in this context, that staying in God's love, staying in his covenant family is not based on our merit or our good works. And the life that we live is something that he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in. And so this is what Paul is saying to this Galatian church in this context. He's saying you're out of step with the gospel, with how you're living. How you're relating to people, the way that you're doing church, the way that you're doing community, is showing that you're not going in those guardrails. You're not running on the track that Christ has laid and has set up. You're not flowing with God's actions in the world as as he's saving it. And so that's what he's saying, is that you're out of step with that. We're out of step, and we get caught in that quicksand when we do that. And that's why we're so exhausted. And he says that this Galatian church was even using their religion, their religion as a means of being comfortable and trying to live in their own strength. So our first point for this morning, dying to the law. Um, when we think about Paul's own day or our own day, there's, there's these two different thieves that are the thieves of the gospel. Um, we think of legalism and moralism on the one hand, or antinomianism or relativism on the other. And those two things are the real problems that Paul is battling. And it's a constant battle in the church today. You know, legalism is, this, is this the thing that we instantly think of when we read something like the book of Galatians. Thinking that we can keep some law, some human law, or even God's law to make us holy. On the other hand... The other temptation is to think that because we are so free by grace that our lives don't matter. It doesn't matter how we live. That grace is anti-law and allows that kind of relativism in our lives. 
But ironically, both of those things get us trapped in the quicksand of the law. They both make us impotent in our Christian lives. And the gospel calls us out of those two traps. These two thieves are are things that are at war in our own hearts. It's not like one person over there is a legalist and one person over there is is a relativist. No, these are, these are both at work in all of our hearts. And they're constantly trying to steal away our joy and our security in the gospel. But what does it mean that Paul says that I have died to the law? Well, it can't mean that we no longer obey the law of God. Dying, the, dying to the law here doesn't mean that we don't try to be holy. It doesn't mean that we don't try to obey the Ten Commandments. But what does it mean that if he's saying that we die to the law then? Well, here Paul is, Paul is talking about dying to the law as a way of being saved. How he finds completion or motivation before God and others. And that's what he's saying is legalism. Um, I think we, we often throw that word around in our day. Legalism is this great boogeyman. You know, like, nobody wants to be a legalist. Um, In our culture, we may think that someone who, you know, just takes religion way too seriously, that person is such a legalist. Um, And so we use this word legalism to describe all kinds of things. And Paul has, has various different things in that bucket or in that category of legalism. And I think it's helpful to go through those things to see how all of those things undermine the gospel. First, he's saying that that legalism is trying to gain God's favor through the law, through our obedience, or by good works. Another another thing that he says is that legalism is, is, is adding to God's law extra rules that people use to say that we have to keep. Um, in our culture, legalism might look like trying to be less harsh than God's law. We have rules, but they're like a lot softer and kinder than God's law. But what happens when you take away God's laws? What happens when that when our culture decides to reject those things, well, it's not like we just like go on and really have freedom. Um, in reality, what we do is start replacing them with our own laws, our own rules and regulations that seem much more manageable, that seem much more fair or loving than God's laws. We might have the Pinterest home where we have to try to keep up with all the latest designs, or the Instagram life where everything is perfect and opulent all the time. We may have the religion of sports that we're willing to sacrifice everything to watch the game or get our kids involved. We work endless hours to get the latest gadget or or iPhone. We specialize in the best, healthiest diet that we learned about 20 minutes ago on BuzzFeed. We come up with this internet-assembled philosophy 
that we thought about eternity for five minutes and we think we've come to some interesting conclusions. And we're really quite proud of ourselves when we do that. You know, we take a college course in literature on Derrida and we think we can deconstruct every single moral system known to man. And we just become a moral law unto ourselves. And that's really what our culture does. But over time, it's quicksand. It really is. It's still exhausting. It's still laws that you can't keep. And we're exhausted, and and everyone around us is brought down, aren't they? When our lives become like that quicksand, just sucking the life out of us. Because these things are really defeating. Um, We find ourselves sitting in bed or at home, and our hearts are racing, and we just feel like I've wasted my life because we're living by rules that we made up five minutes ago. And we feel like we've missed out, don't we? We've made a wreck of our lives, of our marriage, and we're just exhausted. You know, there's a, there's a healthy exhaustion after a, like we go on a long hike or we have a really good workout and we reach for that bottle of water and we're just like, oh yeah, I feel alive. Um, but that's not the exhaustion that we have in our modern world, which is constantly trying to make us run, constantly trying to keep us busy so that we're no longer truly known by God or by each other. We're so busy running from one distraction to the next, where at the end of the day, we're really just running from ourselves, aren't we? We're running from the emptiness that we feel because we're stuck in that quicksand. And this is true. This is the true legalism that I think that we all see around us today. We think life is manageable. We just get enough life hacks and we're good. Um, That outward performance at the end of the day thinks that we are at the point of everything. We're the point of it all. We're at the center of everything, and we're now a law unto ourselves. I think that's that's very much the legalism that we see around us. But Paul also brings up the idea of legalism as trying to live the Christian life by the power of our own strength, by the power of our own will. And so legalism is also sanctification by our own strength, becoming like Christ, even, even... trying to follow the law of God by our own will. Which is why I think so many of us can feel so boxed in, feel like chains with this whole Christian thing, not really having freedom in our lives. And after a while, this whole Christian thing can seem so pointless. Can it? Because it's just so exhausting. Because what we're doing is we're doing it by our own strength. We're doing it by our own will. Not by the power of God, by his promises, but being driven in fear by the power of our own flesh. And so Paul is bringing this up. He's not saying that we shouldn't obey God's law, but there's a whole new reason to do it as Christians. We have to die to all of those legalisms 
die to the law as, as a means of being saved by our good works, dying to it as a way of managing our lives and trying to make it look good, this outward performance. This way of life only leads to pride, thinking that we can achieve our goals or to exhaustion and despair because we can't even keep those. Um, but Paul is coming in and he's saying, we are dead to all of those ways of living. We're dead to those laws. Those things can no longer condemn us. Even though God's law is holy and is spiritual and it's good, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's not a thing wrong with it. What's wrong is within us. That we're ultimately covetous and idolatrous. And we use all those legalisms to ultimately cover up our heart, the heart problem. Where the law of God, when we see it, it acts to reveal what's in our hearts and show us what's really in there. I think if we think of just like the Apostle Paul himself, he's a good case study. Um, Before he became a Christian, he was a good Pharisee. He was a good law-abiding Jew. He was the best, you know. He probably felt really alive. He was purpose-driven. He lived the purpose-driven life, keeping all of God's laws, um, all the commandments. But Paul gives gives us a hint of how that failed him. In Romans 7, he talks about when the law said, do not covet. He realized he was covetous. When mom says, don't eat the cookie, you're like, I want to eat the cookie. The law came alive, and it killed him, and he realized that through the commandment that he couldn't keep the law at all. Um, he was probably like a good, normal Christian, going to church, thinking he could keep the commandments. Paul was like, I didn't, I didn't bow down to any false god. Like, I'm not, there's no idols in my house. I'm better than the patriarchs and the Old Testament saints. I was worshiping Yahweh alone. I didn't make any graven images. I didn't take God's name in vain. I didn't use sorcery or magic um, to try to raise my cat. I didn't swear by God falsely. I kept the Sabbath. I honored my father and my mother. I didn't murder or commit adultery, lie, or even seal my neighbor's goods. You see, all of those things are outward things that you, we think we can do. We think we can do those outward things, believing the right things, going to church, having the right doctrine on paper, worshiping, worshiping according to the Bible, and being the best activists for the right causes of justice in the world. But Paul is saying all of those things are outward. It was when Paul saw the command says, don't be ungrateful, that the law came to life, and it came and it killed him, and he realized, wow, I can't covet or have any greed. I can't want somebody else's stuff. And he realized that idolatry begins with being ungrateful. And that ultimately that 
despising God begins there. So this 10th commandment comes and it shows that all of them are spiritual. All of them are inward. And it's like, wow, it's impossible to keep any of these things. When, when I steal from your, my boss and steal his time, it's ultimately because I'm worshiping things and not God. Um, we're not trusting in his provision to care for us when we're sleeping around with someone else. We're looking for happiness and satisfaction in someone else rather than God. And the law just kicks that up. It reveals what's in our hearts and shows deep down the hatred that we have for God in our heart of hearts. Like that's what's there. And so the commandment came alive to Paul and he recognized that while he was good doing those outward performance keeping the law. His heart was far from God. He was obeying God out of fear, slavishly obeying him, not because he loved God, but because he wanted something from him. He wanted status. He wanted honor and prestige and power and privilege. That's what he wanted. He didn't remember what the Old Testament prophets said. Um, God said through the Old Testament prophets, of all their perfect worship, that I hate it. I hate your Sabbath. I hate your new moons. I hate your Sabbaths and sacrifices. I hate your regular principle of worship. Even though he commanded it. Why? Why would he say that? Because they were covetous. Their hearts were far from the Lord. And they put on this great worship show and experience all the smoke, all the smells and the bells. There was blood, there were animals. It was like the best sensory experience that Barnum and Bailey could never compete with. But those laws could never purify the heart or make us holy. So Paul was killed by the quicksand of the law and the first time he realized he can't do this by his own strength or by his own will, He can't scale Mount Sinai or get around any mountain of law that he tried to set up to make himself look holy. And that, that's the thing where he said, now I can live for God. That's the ironic thing is that now he can start living for God for the first time because he died to the law so that he can live to God. Because when we're on that hamster wheel, when we're on that hamster wheel of the law, whatever law it is, we're just obeying to get stuff from God. We're just being good because we don't want him to send bad things to us. We're really afraid that he'll send evil to us if I don't obey. Like, I don't want to get caught. I don't want to do that bad thing because he might send something evil to me. Um, you know, I might be suffering right now, because I did something evil. That God is going to punish me if I don't stay on that hamster wheel. But the radical thing Paul says is that when we do that, we're living for ourselves. Even when we're trying to please God, when we're doing it for those motives, it's because we only care about ourselves. I'm living for myself. 
using religion and my faith to push God away. Why is that, why is that the case? Because um, Paul is saying, ultimately, we don't want God. Um, I don't want God when I'm like that. I'm doing it for me. We're doing it to get something from God. And, he, and here's the radical thing that Paul is saying in this epistle, in this letter. He says that it's in those very moments when the law makes you realize that, wow, I actually hate God. I'm ungrateful. That is when Jesus died for you. That is when he came and he lived for you. That is when he brings us to God himself. That God is declaring us holy. He is making us holy by giving us himself on the cross. And that's the point. Um, The whole point of the gospel isn't to get something from God. It isn't to get hell or fire insurance. It isn't to get salvation. God is the point that he can only make us pure and holy by giving us himself. Even when we run from him, he can do that. That may sound really radical, but I think we really miss the point in the fact that, that salvation is God giving us himself, that he is our reward, that he is our inheritance, he's our fortress and our stronghold. The whole point is that God is giving himself to you and your reward is Christ because he loves you. And so now we can live for God for the first time for a new reason. We can do good, good, excuse me, we can do good things and obey God's law knowing that we're fully accepted and loved by him out of the sheer love and knowledge that he's given us himself. When you do something out of joy, you just do it because it's so delightful. That's just the freedom. You're just like, wow, I just love doing that. I love doing that sport. Or I love this video game. Or I love painting or making music or being with my family. You don't have to be told to do that. It just springs up out of delight. And that is what Jesus is saying through Paul, is like that he is our delight and he's freed us from the bondage of ourselves so that we can now go out and delight in him. That through the law, he can die to the law. The law shows us that we can never make ourselves acceptable or holy. And it frees us now to actually live for God for the first time. That Christ not only saves us from the guilt and condemnation of the law, but now it's power. And that's what having Christ's life in us is about, which is our second point today. Having Christ's life, which is, we read in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and he gave himself for me. Now, was Paul literally at the cross and crucified with Jesus? No, of course not. He was not 
physically there when that happened. So what does he mean by that? If he said, I was crucified with Christ. He's saying that his old identity, all of those ways of living, what he put his faith in, all of those things have been crucified with Jesus. All of that sense of what he was living for, his identity, his rights, his demands, his good works, his outward religious performance, all of it has, was nailed to the cross. All those things that he used to push God away, God has taken and nailed to the cross with Jesus. And God treats us now as if we had died with him on the cross. Every single sin, every single self-righteous deed that we commit, every single thing is dead. And all of our sins are crucified with Jesus, never to be resurrected. The law's condemnation has been silenced forever. And he's saying that is what makes you holy before me. And it turns us into living sacrifices of praise. So we owe the law nothing. Our debt has been paid in full. And the cursed life of the cross has killed the cursed life of exhaustion that all those legalisms lead to. That we so often feel in this world. All those hopes and dreams and aspirations that are driven by fear and slavery have died with Jesus. And so that whole way of legalism, that way of life has been crucified. And Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I think when we, when we read this verse about Christ, it's no longer I who live. It kind of sounds like um, when we read that, when we read that passage, we're like, okay, well, now I don't have to do anything. And we're just like, okay, Jesus is living for me. Yes, I'm off the hook. And we, we can have this super spiritual kind of view of the Christian life where we don't have to exert ourselves. We don't actually have to live out of gratitude and try to please God. You know, we just wait and the Lord will take away my anger. We just wait and the Lord will take away our problem of pride and selfishness or addiction. And Paul is saying, he's not saying that at all. He's, the potential here is to think that because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that when, when Jesus is active, I'm not active. When he's working, I'm not working. But that's not what Paul is saying. Um, he's saying that the Holy Spirit has so made us alive and made us identified with Jesus that his life in heaven right now has become our very life. Jesus' death on the cross was our death and his life before God is a gift by which we live right now. But what does that mean? That can sound very abstract and esoteric and very strange. What does that actually mean and look like for our lives? Well, I think it means that the Christian life is a gift of God's grace. That your sanctification and your life right now is just as much a gift of God's grace 
as getting in to salvation. It doesn't mean that we don't work. It doesn't mean that we aren't active. But what it does mean is that we're living from a totally different principle. That we live our life as an identity and being freely loved. That we're living out of this new identity. Paul goes on to say in chapter 3, how can you continue in the flesh what was begun by the Spirit? How can you receive the Spirit of promise by the works of the law when you had just received it by faith? What is he saying right there? He's saying that you can't live the Christian life by legalism or the works of the law if you got in by faith. You can't continue in your own strength what was begun by promise, what was begun by grace. He's saying that we, what was begun by this free gift of God, now that reality must begin every single day in our lives of not getting on that hamster wheel. Um, That is the new reality. And if we're just coasting in life, it's like that quicksand. We are going to sink. We have to actively work to get off that hamster wheel, relying on God completely every single day as if everything depended on it. Every day, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. Every day, we realize that Jesus is like Wesley jumping into that quicksand, not just on the cross, not just on the cross, but every single day of your life, he's jumping into the quicksand and pulling us out. Having Christ's life in us begins resting in God, resting in him, and delighting that God, in the God who's giving us himself in Christ each day. And so relying on Jesus and having his life in us means just a simple thing of resting in his good and finished work. Asking his spirit, come Lord, sanctify us. Help me rely on you more and more. So we no longer live out of those selfish impulses where we're constantly demanding our rights, constantly demanding our way our laws, and being completely savage with others when our spirits are like that quicksand sucking the life out of everyone because we're living by the law and saying, God, change my heart. Make me to live in you. And so that that brings us to our third point today. So we've seen what it means to die to the law. It's dying to all those legalisms. It's dying to all those things that we try to do to make us holy, but end end up making us just live for ourselves. It's then having Christ's life in us so that now we can live by faith. In verse 20 and 21, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who, who lived for me, and he gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul is saying something beautiful begins to happen 
something beautiful begins to happen when we start actively resting in Christ. Instead of demanding our rights according to that old life, we die to them each and every single day. And we actually start not nullifying God's law here, or his grace, but we start actually learning to live with each other. Instead of being utterly unforgiving and unrelenting with each other, Paul is saying that our life takes on a new flavor. Our life takes on a new kind of presence. Um, instead of our souls feeling dried up by the sand, we actually become a forgiving, a life-giving presence. You know, Pastor Rob, every single Sunday, stands up here and he reads the gospel and the pardon. And as that happens, our lives, something, something amazing happens. Our lives actually take on an absolving presence with each other. Christ shines, starts shining through us. And as, as Pastor Rob was saying, that, that God meets us in such a unique way on the Lord's Day because he's coming and he's actively giving us himself again and sanctifying us. He's getting our hearts away from those old legalisms and lifting our eyes to heaven. Christ is living for us and in us. And as we're about to take the Lord's Supper, he's coming down even further. And he's actually setting each one of you aside for holiness, for righteousness. He's actively getting you ready for the day of resurrection. He's making you today, right now, into a sacrifice of praise. Um, I grew up on the, the East Coast and in the Midwest, uh, where there was, we had a lot of snow. Um, something that's pretty foreign to most Southern California people. And, and we had these huge snowstorms growing up, where I remember, just, as, just, even as a little kid, where I was just, I, I could barely get around in the snow. And I just remember my dad or my older brother, where they would often have to like go out and trudge through the snow in order to make a path so that I could just like get along and just get to the car. And that is, that is kind of what Jesus is saying that he's doing here. That every single day, he's going out before us with his spirit and he's carving out that path. And he sees us straggling behind like a little kid. And he's saying, good job, well done. As if we had done everything, as if we had carved the path out ourselves. He's the good brother and father who's kicking up the snow. And we're just like, oh yeah, this is great, walking behind him. Those are the very things that Jesus has prepared before us that we can now walk in. Jesus is looking at our feebleness like little kids running through that snowdrift, And he's saying, great job. You ran the race. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the radical thing that Paul is saying that Christ's life in us actually means. That even the good work that we're doing so feebly and weakly and sinfully and all mucked up every single day that are just tainted with our sin and our bad motives 
in our stupidity and getting all caught up in the quicksand of our own laws. God is saying, those things do not change my love for you. Even your sinful good works as Christians, God declares holy and righteous and blameless. That your sanctification is by grace as well. Isn't that amazing? That's what Paul is saying, that even our sinful attempts at being Christians, God declares righteous and holy. He looks as if we had done everything. He looks at us and says, maybe someday it's hard to get out of bed. Maybe it's just a battle to put on your clothes and take a shower. But Jesus looks behind at you, trailing along in the snow, And he says, wow, good work, well done, my good and faithful servant, absolute delight in you. And this is why Jesus can say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Your salvation, no, even more, your happiness is not dependent on you. So now you're free just to go and live. You're free to love God for the first time and your neighbor. God's love for us does not depend on us. Does not, attempt, does not depend on all our life-hacking attempts at holiness. Otherwise, Paul says, Christ died for no purpose. If sanctification, if your Christian life can be by the law, Christ's death is worthless. That's what he's saying. That's how radical what Paul is saying is. Jesus accepts us freely and fully because of his sacrifice. And he's not leaving us where we are. He doesn't want us to live in that moralistic legalism or fear. He wants us to come behind him, even though it's hard to trail through the snow. He wants us to come up behind him. He knows our weakness and our frailty, that we are but dust. But he doesn't leave us where we are, does he? You can't be in communion with this Jesus and be left the same. His holiness is contagious. And that brings us back to our, the idea of those two thieves. We mentioned earlier the two thieves of legalism and relativism. And I think that this is where a lot of people really get messed up when they think about the Christian life is we think that the Christian life is just merely ends at remembering the gospel. It kind of just like is this idea of, oh, we just need to rest in the gospel more. Um, Don't give me any law, bro. That's just too much. Don't make any demands of me. You know, while our wives or our kids are out there struggling to get out of bed and do nothing, and they just, they're sick, and we're like, oh, I just need to rest in the gospel. Don't, don't burden me, man, my conscience. Um, and I think it's very easy for us all to kind of get into that, where we're just going back and forth between these two things. We're like a drunk peasant trying to get up on one side of the horse, and we keep falling off. We get up on the other side, and we fall back off. 
But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul isn't saying just we're being sanctified by just resting in the gospel and remembering it psychologically. Um, Don't give me the law, man. That's just too much. My conscience can't bear it. While our spouses go out there and struggle. No, that's just, that's again, that's, that's, that's living, thinking the gospel is about us and my comfort and me being lazy and using that actually to oppress people. We use the truth in those ways to oppress people. You can't cramp, cramp my Christian liberty, uh, my lifestyle with those demands. And then this is really sad because this, is, this too is just half the gospel, which is no gospel according to Paul. It's cheap grace that rejects Christ because we're looking to him to just give us something rather than getting all of Christ and getting his people and getting his body and getting all the things that Christ gives to us. We can't just think that, oh, I just have to have my quiet time and rest and meditate in the gospel when your kid is throwing up or when your wife is struggling or your neighbor is dying. I just need to go to church. Please don't bother me. Um, That's not what Paul is saying at all. Um, That really is toxic. That's a a soul-killing understanding. The person who's suffering right in front of you is Christ to you at that moment. Because Christ is given to us and he's made us living sacrifices of praise. He's declaring us holy to become those very sacrifices where we die to ourselves and live for others. The new life that we're given in Christ that he's giving you today is to be free from yourself. It is being free from the self so that we can love God and our neighbor. That is what true freedom is. Thinking of ourselves less. Thinking of ourselves less. Christ's righteousness clothes us, but it's also now being infused into us, like electricity going through us. And God is saying, that's your lifeline. That is what's going on. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you. You can do nothing apart from me. He tells us we have to hook up to him, as it were. And now his righteousness that clothes us is actually Christ living through us. That the more we rest in Jesus, the more people actually see his radical grace and holiness not, not in the sense that we're going to no longer be tempted. Not in the sense that we're no longer going to be weak and struggle. Not, no, not in the sense that we're not going to be constantly bombarded with the quicksand of our own laws. No, holiness now means resting in Christ. Having his grace shine through you precisely for others. Precisely because you are weak and sinful. Precisely in the midst of your persecution and your troubles and your suffering. The holiness of Christ is now a gift that he's giving to you. 
so that you can become a conduit of God's saving activity in the world through your weak and broken and feeble bodies. Maybe it's just giving someone a smile and being nice to them or giving them a morsel of bread. So in conclusion today, we we see that the Christ has given us the whole Christian life, hasn't he? It's not just getting in, it's not just starting things out, but the whole Christian life is moving in Jesus, the path that he's, he's blazed for us. He's not only given us himself on the cross, but he's giving you himself even more to you in the Christian life. He's giving himself even more to you for your neighbor. Jesus is the Wesley who's just constantly jumping in because we're just like walking about la and just like totally oblivious to the quicksand in front of us. And he just like is pulling us out again and again so that we can be sacrifices of praise for our neighbor. So the answer to call, the call for holiness isn't just to try harder. It isn't just to be more, de- it's just to try harder and to be less angry. It's to be more dependent. It's to live out of that grace more. This life is not going to be perfect. Um, we are physically wasting away. Some of us know that more than others. But we are being renewed every single day by the gospel because Christ's life is connected to us even now as an eternal lifeline. And that is what it means to live in the gospel. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and for living and dying for us, and for showing us how much you delight in us. That even our good works, you've declared holy as a Christian, that are so tainted by our sin, you lift us up out of that quicksand. You make us absolving, forgiving, grace-filled people because of your grace. So we ask as we go from here that we would truly know how much you delight in us, so that we can run the race with joy. And it's in your son's name we ask. Amen.